Hi, dreamers. As you know, I have been somewhat busy this week, and I wasn't able to finish the episode that I had planned on putting out for you. It's a story that's going to take quite some time to research and write, and I don't want to rush through it, so instead, I have another one that really doesn't take too long to tell. I'll explain why. It involves domestic violence, murder-suicide, and the death of a child. And because her life was so short, sadly, her story won't take long to tell. And so I must warn you that this episode may be triggering for some listeners, and I've been making a conscious effort to scale back on cases involving children, but this one has always been in the back of my mind because it's actually one that my daughter Evelyn requested a long time ago, way back when I first started the show. But like I said, the information out there is very limited, and I do not think I would be able to come up with enough material for a full-length episode. But since I'm short on time, I decided to do it now. So we won't go without at least a little something from the show this week. So now, let's delve into this bonus mini episode of California Dreaming, the short and sad tale of Judith Eva Barcy. Judith Barcy was born June 6, 1978, and she was the only child of Joseph Barcy and Maria Benko. From the time Judith was born, Maria began grooming her daughter for a career in Hollywood. Having never been able to find a place for herself in Tinseltown, Maria knew the odds were slim that anything would come of it, but she persisted nonetheless. And for all her efforts and for all her hopes for her daughter, she would see her dreams for Judith come to fruition. In 1983, when Judith was five and a half years old, she was discovered at an ice skating rink in the San Fernando Valley by a film crew that happened to be shooting a commercial on location there. Judith stood out, not only because she was a completely delightful and adorable little girl, she looked much younger than her age. The crew members who noticed her, based on her size, thought she was only three years old. So Judith was perfect for what they were looking for. A child to star in commercials and one who looked younger than her actual age would be much easier to work with. She was immediately signed by her new agent, a woman named Ruth Hansen. Ruth, who had been in the business for more than a quarter century by the time she signed Judith, described her as a bubbly, happy child. But Ruth Hansen would be one of the first to notice a shift in the little girl's personality as time went on. But I'll talk about that in a little bit. Because of Judith's small stature, by the time she began approaching the ages of 6, 7, 8, and 9, she was still playing the roles of children aged 3, 4, 5, and 6. By the time she turned 10, she was still only 3 feet 8 inches or 1.12 meters tall. In order to try and facilitate her growth, she began receiving injections at UCLA Medical Center. Whether or not they would work, we would never really find out. Judith's first commercial was for Donald Duck Orange Juice. From there, she would go on to be featured in many, many more, more than 70 commercials in all. She landed roles in a number of television shows, and she would be featured in three major motion pictures. Now, while Judith's mother, Maria, had her daughter working pretty steadily for the ensuing five years following that very first commercial, She did go to great lengths to make sure Judith had a normal childhood as much as possible, including keeping her in public school, 
rather than homeschooling her like many child stars. Though her work schedule often conflicted with school, her mom did her best to make sure that Judith kept up. Judith had roles in numerous TV shows throughout the 80s, including Knott's Landing, The Twilight Zone, The Fall Guy, Remington Steele, Punky Brewster, Cagney and Lacey, The Love Boat, Cheers, St. Elsewhere, and Growing Pains. She was also a featured voice actor in two animated films, The Land Before Time and All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah, so by the time Judith hit double digits, she was basically a Hollywood veteran. Before long, she was earning more than $100,000 a year. And with this income, the family would be able to purchase a modest three-bedroom home in 1985. Judith's dad, Joseph Barcy, was born November 26, 1932, in what has been described as a rough industrial area in Hungary, though his family is believed to have been traced to Slovakia. Barcy did not know his father, and because he was considered illegitimate, he struggled socially in school. He faced a great deal of rejection from his peers and also suffered bullying, not only from his fellow students, but from teachers as well. Later in life, Barcy's eldest daughter would surmise that he seemed to harbor a great deal of resentment towards his mother, blaming her for his father's abandonment. And because of this, he would not only view his mother as a, in his own daughter's words, a whore, he would view all women in this way. In 1956, the Soviet Union occupied Hungary and the communist rule took over. Barsi, then only 19 years old, fled his homeland. He first went to France. He met and married another Hungarian refugee named Clara, and they would go on to have two children, a son, Barna, and a daughter, Aji. It was during this time, according to his daughter, who wrote a memoir about her father, that he began abusing alcohol and abusing their mother. In 1964, Barcy, along with his wife and two children, moved to New York. Before long, he began abusing their son, and this would be the turning point for Clara, as she would no longer stand for the abuse now that he began abusing their child. She ended up taking the kids almost as far across the continental United States that you possibly could, ending up all the way in Arizona in 1969. Barcy would follow and he tried to keep his family together, but the cycle of abuse would continue. In a drunken rage, Barcy ended up throwing a cast iron skillet at Clara. Whether or not he actually connected, I'm not exactly sure, but that was it. She filed for divorce, and not too long afterwards, Barcy would relocate once again, this time to California. Not long after arriving in California, Barcy found work as a plumbing contractor. And not long after that, he would meet a waitress at a restaurant that was popular with Hungarian immigrants. Her name was Maria. She was about eight years younger than he was. She came to know him as Arizona Joe, and she was impressed by him because he paid for his drinks at the bar with $100 bills. And like Barcy, she had fled Soviet-occupied Hungary around the same time that he did, but she also fled a very physically and psychologically abusive father. 
The couple got married and in short order, they would have their one and only child in 1978, Judith Eva. Troubles began early on in the marriage, and it's been reported that Barcy did not allow Maria to work anymore, and this is believed to have been one of the many ploys that he would utilize in order to control her. And for his part, Barcy was frequently out of work. He drank way too much, which contributed to his inability to find and maintain a steady job, and the bills began piling up. This would eventually force the family to apply for and rely on government assistance. As I said earlier, Maria had long aspired on her own to become an actress, but she was never really able to find her way, as she was weighed down by a difficult childhood, an abusive husband, and had no way to really get her foot in the door in the business. Though her dreams never came to fruition, when she had Judith, she had held on to those hopes, wanting to make them into a reality through her daughter. She began grooming Judith to become an actress by way of teaching her how to carry herself. They worked on her posture, her poise, her personality, to be particularly polite and charming. After Judith was discovered at that skate rink and signed with her agent, Judith became a staple in television commercials that played in households across the United States. I mean, she was doing commercials for Mattel, Barbie, fruit snacks, all kinds of cereals, cat food, McDonald's, KFC, Campbell's Soup, Lay's Potato Chips, Jif Peanut Butter, and that's just to name a few. And soon, Judith's income far exceeded that of her own father, and he hated it. As I told you, Judith was discovered at the age of five, and as her little star began rising and shining brightly, it apparently cast a dark shadow over her father's own sense of self-worth. It's really heartbreaking to see all of these commercials with Judith's bubbly little personality, her smiling face, and the adorable way that she delivers every line, knowing how painful and destructive her home life was when nobody was watching. The feelings of resentment from Barcy began to settle in, and slowly, it festered into anger. The more her career blossomed, the worse it became. As Barcy became increasingly paranoid, jealous, angry, it turned into fits of rage and abuse directed at both Judith and Maria. He began making verbal threats that he was going to kill them and himself. And his alcohol consumption also escalated, eventually leading to three DUI arrests. As Judith got older and became more successful in her acting career, her father's violence escalated exponentially, as it seemed as though the two were somehow connected. As Judith's roles became more prominent, as she began making her way into feature films, her father grew more and more unstable and volatile. At some point in December of 1986, Maria filed a police report against her husband, citing his ongoing death threats and physical violence and abuse. But while officers spoke to Maria, they pointed out that it did not appear that she had any obvious physical signs that she was being abused. Feeling as though she wasn't being believed, 
Maria opted to not press charges at the time. Following Maria's attempt to report the abuse to police, it seemed as though Barcy quit drinking, though his threats and abuse continued. He frequently told both of them that he would slit their throats and burn down the house. There had been a time when a relative of Maria's back in Hungary had passed away, and a telegram was sent to her informing her of the death and the impending funeral services. Barcy took this telegram and never let Maria know of it or the information that it contained, as he did not want her leaving the United States, nor did he want her to take Judith with her. Maria would reach a point that she did want to take her daughter and leave, but if she were to do so, that would mean she would have to go into hiding, and that in turn would mean Judith would be unable to continue to pursue her career in acting. Maria didn't work, and without Judith's substantial income, going into hiding would have been impossible. And the house that they were able to purchase, that was all possible because of Judith's income, and Maria didn't want to leave it behind. As a matter of fact, she refused. She felt as though she and Judith had worked too hard to simply walk away, and if anybody was leaving, it was going to be Judith's dad, not them but we all know the chances of that guy leaving the house were slim to none. So Maria was finding herself and Judith in this dilemma with seemingly no real plausible options, at least none that mom is willing to entertain. One solution Maria tried was to allow the family home to fall into a state of disrepair and squalor, but because Barcy was so particular about the house being kept neat and clean, she hoped that he would get fed up with the house and just leave. That, of course, didn't work either. All he did was start to complain to other people about what a terrible housekeeper his wife was. Judith herself had confided in a friend once that her dad had taken some pots and pans in the kitchen and threw them at her, which caused her some facial bruising and caused her nose to bleed. Judith began putting on weight, and she began to display some troubling behaviors. As a result of the stress of the abuse, the fear, and the anxiety, Judith began pulling out her own eyelashes, as well as the whiskers on her cat. Things finally came to a head while during an audition for the animated feature All Dogs Go to Heaven, Judith had a complete emotional breakdown. It was then her mother decided to take her to a child psychologist, at which point, after only one meeting, The doctor pointed to her symptoms as being indicative of having suffered ongoing and severe emotional and physical abuse. These findings were then immediately reported to Child Protective Services. By the way, Judith did win the voice actor role in All Dogs Go to Heaven, but she would never see the completed film. It would be her final role. One month after the report was made, representatives working on the case over at Child Protective Services dropped their investigation into the abuse allegations in the Barcy home based on Maria's assurances that she had begun the process of hiring an attorney and filing for divorce. She also indicated that she and Judith were moving out of their house in the San Fernando Valley and into an apartment that she had secured in Panorama City. But as it would turn out, 
Maria rolled back on her escape plans out of fear that she would lose her share of her interest in the family home, as well as their assets. By the time Judith was only nine years old, she had become one of the most sought-after child actors in Hollywood. She was cast in the role of Thea Brody in the 1987 film Jaws the Revenge. As she was getting ready to leave Los Angeles with her mother to head to the film location in the Bahamas, her father, determined to maintain control over her and her mother even while they were thousands of miles away, held a knife to Judith's throat and told her, If you and your mother decide to not come back, I will cut your throat. Varsi had continued to remain upset with his daughter being in the Bahamas, so much so that her agent offered him a plane ticket to fly out there for a visit, but he turned it down. When filming wrapped, Maria and Judith made a pit stop in Flushing, New York to visit her brother, Judith's uncle. At some point during the trip, Judith got on the phone with her father and he reminded her about the threat that he had made about cutting her throat and her mother's throat. Judith panicked. She cried and she locked herself in a bedroom. They ended up leaving New York earlier than planned and headed back to California in order to play Kate Barcy and his temper. According to a co-worker and friend of Barcy's in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, Barcy told him hundreds of times that he wanted to kill his wife. This co-worker, in an effort to calm Barcy down, asked him what would become of his little one, referring to Judith, if he were to kill Maria. His answer? I gotta kill her too. When Judith returned from the Bahamas about two months after that ominous threat, Barcy's fury had escalated even more. He was a man consumed with anger and resentment towards his own child's success. Along with the slow disintegration of their marriage, he reached a point where he would finally make good on his threats. The last time anyone reported seeing Judith was sometime on the morning of July 25, 1988. She was riding her bike up and down the street that she lived on, but it was reported that Barcy's actions had taken place over the course of about four days, beginning as early as Sunday, July 24th, culminating in a final act sometime on Wednesday, July 27th. Joseph Barcy made good on his threats to end the lives of his wife and their only child. It is believed that on Monday, the 25th, Barcy shot Judith in the head as she lay in her canopy bed. Right next to her was a little pink TV that her dad had gifted to her. A neighbor had told the Los Angeles Times that he gave her the TV after he had exploded in a fit of rage, attacking Judith and pulling her hair. Maria was shot next, also in the head, in the hallway, apparently trying to flee. Over the course of the next two days, it is believed that Barcy lingered in the home with the bodies of his wife and daughter. He had apparently had at least one phone conversation with Judith's agent on the 26th and explained that he intended to move out of the family home the following day and he was spending some time there so he could say goodbye to his little girl. 
His way of saying goodbye involved dousing both Maria and Judith's body with gasoline and setting them ablaze. He then went into the garage, held his 32 caliber pistol up to his own head, and fired one time, taking his own life. When the word spread that Joseph Barcy had annihilated his family, questions began swirling as to the failure of Child Protective Services and the social services system as a whole in preventing this tragedy from occurring. When it was revealed that Maria had reached out to the Department of Children's Services just two months earlier, but they ended up closing the case, people wanted answers. How could something like this have happened? especially when all the warning signs were present. Helen Kleinberg, who is a member of an oversight group called the Commission for Children's Services, which is an advisory entity on children's issues to the Board of Supervisors, told the Los Angeles Times, It's frightening because it appears that people on the outside took the right steps and we didn't manage it. And since the Commission's inception in 1984, as a direct result of Judith Barcy's murder, they were asked to assess the file from Children's Services regarding her case and the report made by her mother to determine if it was handled appropriately. According to Kleinberg, the commission was very disappointed in the manner in which the Department of Children's Services had accounted for their actions when the inquiry was made. What they found was an egregious error in the closing of a case based solely on Maria's word that she was initiating divorce proceedings and intending to move herself and Judith out of the home. The Department of Child Protective Services should not have closed this case, as they said it was at Maria's request. They were not there to advocate for Maria. They were there to advocate for Judith, as she was their main point of concern. Oh, and by the way, the caseworker who was assigned to Judith's case had nearly two dozen more cases than she was allowed to have had at the time that she was given her case. According to LAPD detective Sandra Palmer, who headed the investigation into Maria and Judith's murders, things can get a little murky when it comes to child abuse. One of the biggest issues caseworkers are faced with is how to handle situations involving severe emotional abuse. Barcy had been flinging threats at Maria and Judith for as many as five years by the time he murdered them. But to that, Detective Palmer told the LA Times, how do we protect someone from threats? We really honestly can't. I could say I'm going to kill you. I have the right because we have a free society to say that. I don't have the right to carry it out. Joseph Barcy was a man who felt a lot of shame when it came to who he was. At the time of his death, he was 55 years old. He struggled to make a living and provide for his family in his work as a plumber, and he was terribly embarrassed of his heavy accent. As Judith grew up and grew older, offers for commercials, TV shows, and movie roles were endless. It did not take long before Judith was bringing in far more income than her father, And remember, I told you it was because of her earnings that the Barcys were able to purchase a home in San Fernando Valley. That was all Judith. So if we were to question why Maria hesitated to walk away, it's because of all of their worldly possessions. Those all belonged to Judith, and she desperately wanted to protect her assets. 
And so for a man like Barcy, having the added layer of this dynamic of Judith being the main breadwinner of the family, it only fueled Barcy's feelings of inferiority and insecurity. So the only handle he had, the only thing that he could do was abuse and control his daughter and his wife. An abusive bully who was left in the shadow of his much sought after daughter. He had to have control and he did so using threats of violence, psychological, emotional, and physical abuse. Joseph Barcy knew his marriage to Maria was crumbling. Even after his numerous arrests for DUI and the report that she had filed when he physically attacked her, the charges weren't pressed because she was unable to prove that she had been punched and choked. Barcy's bitterness and rage continued to be fueled by the fact that even when he attempted to stop drinking, Maria refused to accept his apologies and move on. This caused an even bigger rift between the couple, and Barcy began to sink into a state of even more angry brooding as he continued to lord over them and the home. Barcy, though he was known to be a charming man in the beginning when Maria first met him, had a furious temper which could explode without warning, and it was particularly violent when he had too much to drink. And I mentioned earlier, he was ashamed of his accent. If he were to suspect anyone was making fun of him, he would go off the rails. He also liked to portray himself as being much tougher than he actually was. He talked about chasing people down who crossed him with two-by-fours. He even regularly bragged about having served time in New York for killing someone as a result of a fight. But really, the only time Barcy was known to have served involved his drunk driving arrest and the only people he regularly attacked were his wife and young daughter. And apparently Judith was telling friends and acquaintances about her father's abuse. She spoke of their dreadful home life, and it was jarring to hear such dark things come from the otherwise charming, bubbly little girl. She is said to have been afraid to go home, describing her father as a miserable person, that he drinks heavily every day, and she knows he has this desire to kill her mom. And there were people who tried to step in. Judith's agent recommended going to a psychologist, the psychologist making the report to Child Protective Services, and even at least one neighbor opening up her home to Maria and Judith, offering them a place to go if they decided to leave. But it would be an offer Maria ended up refusing. Just as she declined to press charges when Barcy physically attacked her, just like when she convinced the social worker assigned to the case that she intended to divorce Barcy and leave the family home, she ended up going back on all of those promises in an effort to protect herself, Judith, their home, and her daughter's career. Of course, she feared that leaving would make things worse, that Barcy would simply track them down and be even more angrier than before. It's that difficult place that victims of domestic violence find themselves in. And like the police said, you can't do anything just because somebody's making verbal threats. Maybe that was then, or perhaps threats weren't taken as seriously as they are now. I could not find the year in which making criminal threats in California was enacted, but it is definitely against the law to put someone in fear by threatening to kill or physically harm someone and that person finds themselves in a reasonably sustained fear 
for their safety or the safety of their immediate family. And a person making threats can even be charged even if they don't have the ability to carry out the threat or even if the person making the threat never had any intentions of carrying it out. I can't even begin to count the numbers of articles that reiterated the fact that Barsi existed in this perpetual state of anger and resentment directed primarily towards his wife, Maria. And people who knew him were very well aware of the fact that he either wanted to kill his wife or he wanted to kill himself and his daughter in order to cause his wife pain and suffering or he wanted to kill all three of them. Whatever the case, it was an incessant cycle of threats to do harm to one or both of them along with burning down the house. One neighbor reported to the Los Angeles Times that there was this occasion when Maria had purchased Judith a kite, but in a rage, Barcy snatched it away from his child. She became really upset and told her dad that he was going to break it, and he looked at her and told her that she was a spoiled brat because she does not want to share her kite with him, and he proceeded to obliterate the kite into as many tiny pieces as he could. And as I'm writing and researching this sad story, I can't help but wonder what, if anything, mom could have done differently. From all that I could see, she began to take actions, but then she would backtrack or she wouldn't follow through. She rented that apartment in Panorama City, but she never actually moved in. Her and Judith kind of used it as sort of a refuge during the day but at night they would always go home to Barcy. She was urged by friends to make that final break from him, but she continued to hesitate. Some of her neighbors had said that she wanted to stay in the neighborhood that they purchased their home in at least through Judith's birthday, which was in June. But her 10th birthday came and went, and they continued to stay. Before long, it was July, and Maria continued to insist she didn't want to leave the home. She loved their home, and she felt as though Judith, along with her guidance, had worked really hard to earn it. But let's not forget that there is always the very real fear of what Barcy could potentially do if she did leave. There are so many questions. Could she have done more? Would it have made a difference? What could have been done to stop Joseph Barcy? I don't have the answers and I can't sit here some 30 years later and judge. I think I heard this in a podcast about Susan and Josh Powell. You know, she disappeared in 2009. And she always said that if Josh wanted to kill her, he'd kill her. I have this feeling that Maria thought the same thing. No matter what she did, whether she stayed or if she left, if Joseph Barcy wanted to kill her, he would. 1988's The Land Before Time and 1989's All Dogs Go to Heaven, which featured characters voiced by Judith Eva, were released posthumously. The latter featured a song dedicated to our memory entitled Love Survives. It reads, Now I know you're safe here in my heart. 
you will always be with me. We'll never be apart. Never know how strong my love could be. You're the one I've waited for. Now you're home, I believe. Love survives beyond our lives. I feel those ties growing stronger. Love survives the tears we've cried. Yes, love survives it all. Love survives it all. Even when we want to run and hide, love comes in to pull us through from deep inside. Oh, the magic has made us who we are. Don't you see we've come so far? Take my hand, you made me understand. Love survives it all. Judith and Maria are buried together at Forest Lawn, Hollywood Hills. Joseph Barcy's final resting place is unknown. His son from his first marriage committed suicide in 1995 by jumping off a bridge in Scottsdale, Arizona. His daughter, Aggie, was a talk show host and the author of several self-help books. She would succumb to breast cancer in 2008. And that brings this bonus episode of California Dreaming to a close. I want to thank you so much for your patience and understanding as my family and I transition into our new home. I'm doing everything I can to keep our little show going through this time. And I hope you all have a wonderful week. I will get episode 83 out to you as soon as possible. And until next time, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.